Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Keep it. Hello. You didn't have anything to add to that. We're simply back. No, because we're under attack. By? The Civil War has begun. Oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a competition between people who believe bigly is a word and don't. So pick your sides now. Find your cutlass. <laughs> uh, we have someone new drafted into the war with us today. I'm so happy to be here. I think I've been training for this for years. Well, Winter Mitchell, we are happy to have you here. I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. Thank Winter, you both. Winter Mitchell and I were both, uh, I would fill in for Guy Branham on the podcast, Pop Rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, Winter Mitchell, a, a scholar of pop culture. <laughs> for uh, a long time. Well, Pop Rocket is dead. It's it was, indeed. It, it was the first victim of the war. <laughs> <laughs> At Lexington, the shot. <laughs> We're now mixing wars. <laughs> I introduced her at the time. I, I got to host the podcast, and I got to say, Summer Wishes Winter Mitchell. Yes. Uh, you ever seen that movie, Summer Wishes Winter Dreams, with uh, Joanne Woodward? And this is such an amazing 60s dead reference, Martin Balsam. He's the guy who oh, dies Martin on the steps ba- in Psycho. Yeah. Okay, mm. but he's also, wasn't he also in... Uh... 12 Angry Men. But was he married to Betty Davis? No, he was married to. Uh, uh, good question. His daughter is Talia Balsam, who's who married, married to John George, Sla- George, uh, George Clooney. Clooney first. Yes, and now is married to John Slattery, and she was on Mad Men as his I wife. I always mm. wonder her what yes. what yes. they would have been like if they stayed married. Oh, I know, right? It, you know what I mean? I kind of feel like. Because she was, I think, maybe older than George Clooney. When I put them together, like, in my mind now, I just don't see it because he's so how he is about right. it all. Can I say she upgraded? She oh, 100% yeah. upgraded. I think John Slattery is so much hotter than George Clooney. I feel like George Clooney would bother her at this point. Yeah. Just, like, the whole, the, the maelstrom of it all would just be, like, annoying to her. I feel like John Slattery is, like, you know, He reads fun. pretty cool. He reads, <laughs> he reads books. He drinks, you know, like, Whiskey neat. Yes, it's just like, how and he's a- and he's aging the way he wants to mm-hmm. be, not like reluctantly. Yeah, I think that Amal is at home trying to like she's reading. I don't know Ronan Farrow's book, and George comes over and he's like, "Let's go to Lake Como and take yeah. the speedboat with Johnny Depp," and she's like, "That is so D class A." <laughs> she's like, "Get out of here." <laughs> John Slattery to me looks like the man in the yellow hat from Curious George. Just mm. that exact silhouette, like mm. like tall rectangle He's head. jaunty in a way that's not annoying. Yeah, right. It's it's organic. It's, it's or- <laughs> I would like to see him with just a yellow hat on. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm. Who's He's curious very sexy. Now? <laughs> uh, I think I honestly fell in love with him on Desperate Housewives. What season was he on, like, to be honest? Three. Yeah, that's he when was, I started like watching it. Gabrielle. Well, Right. That's when I started watching it while being on my cell phone. Mm, yeah. So I didn't really take in. It. Like, I didn't even know they switched out, like, Gardner boys. There, It was really good for, like, a solid 40, 50 episodes. Yeah. 
you know. Which is all you can expect in this life. Exactly. And writers, you know, it's interesting. I was just uh, reading about their entertainment weekly shoot. Remember that? Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or was it Vanity Fair? What shoot was it where they were just fighting like cats and dogs? I think it was Vanity Fair. It was Vanity Fair. Yes. I don't know why. I think it was. It was. I think it was because of. Uh, well, they were pushing for the first season. Like Terry Hatcher is the star of this show, and it's like and then, when you do that, you should know, like from Friends, like with with Courtney Cox, you shouldn't do stuff like that. Yeah, because you quickly. Just, yeah, quickly, people are like the viewers weren't into her. It, we're not into <laughs> you. We love you. But we kind of like these other people, too, who've yeah. been booted off of, like, 70 failed pilots. Yeah. That is always so interesting about Courtney Cox being the purported star of Friends when it started because nothing about that character was demanding <laughs> to be, like, the center Look of attention me. in that way. Exactly. It's so interesting. Yeah. But then she was really the—I feel like, wasn't she the star throughout the show, though? Because she was the one with the biggest— film career. No, that's what I mean. That's when when Friends began, they they were like, well, Courtney Cox is obviously the one you've heard of, you know. Yes. And then scream and stuff happened. Yeah, right. But I think that she learned her lesson because of all the friends, she's putting forth the most effort on social media. I will mm. give her that. She's like do, pulling out all the stops, doing all the boomerangs. Now, but does does that mean she has to do that and Jennifer Aniston and Lisa Kudrow don't? I think Jennifer Aniston, I was just thinking when I was walking here with my Topo Chico, I love Topo Chico, refreshing uh, seltzer drink. I love how you were thinking of her (laughs) while drinking a different water brand. That's what I was thinking about because I was thinking to myself, God, if I were a smart water representative, I'd be so annoyed that this is the person we pay $30 million a year when she literally walks outside five times a year on like (laughs) on solstices, on like full waning moons, like like she doesn't come outside. So like how... you know what I mean? Like, it's annoying. That is, I, I do want to ascend to the level of fame where uh, it is considered a sort of like a solstice event when I am drinking water in yes. public. <laughs> also, Courtney Cox probably learned that social media stuff from Busy Films. Uh, but speaking of Jennifer Aniston, yeah. I would love to see that memoir. Uh, you know, that's me segueing into the fact that we will be talking oh, about yeah. Demi Moore's memoir today oh god let's keep it book club can i tell you like the amount of preparation i did without even knowing before i was even booked and busy on this show that i did going into the dimmy of it all i've loved her since forever since Mm. before you all were born that's honestly what what i encountered while reading this book was thinking about do i love her (laughs) like i i had forgotten whether i did we can get into that anyway to me more (laughs) yeah we're gonna talk about that yes We're also going to talk about the disrespect to Debbie Harry. Oh, right. But I kind of have a counter. I feel like she kind of disrespected herself. Okay. Some of her stories are a little. Okay. Well, we will get to that. It was a dicey time, Winter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Did that happen, girl? And then Lewis and I have a exciting interview with Gia Tolentina. Who is a frightening,ly good writer. Yes, an an authoress, if I, you will. I put both my hands on my temples as I read her because you have to like zoom in to what yeah. she is talking. It's very 100%. intensely are, smart. Are you gazing into the future, Raven? <laughs> yes, it's me, uh, uh, Maria Uspinskaya <laughs> in the thirties, back when every character had somebody with a uh, every movie had a character with a crystal ball. Mm, yes, like the letter. That, right. Yes. Oh, good times. Anyway, speaking of Eddie Davis, this is our show. I don't know what we've gotten ourselves into, but we'll be right back. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, 
that was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, actress and provocateur. Sure. The original provocateur. Agent provocateur 001. (laughs) Demi Moore published her memoir, Inside Out, in which she opens up about her marriages, her substance abuse, her childhood, and many other things. Listen, I was reading this by the pool in Palm Springs this weekend. Uh, which I feel like is ideal to read celebrity 3, memoirs. Because um, it's about luxuriating. Right. And I thought this was a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From the jump, mm-hmm. it was wild. What do we think? She is, you know what's interesting about her? This book was missing shit. There are things that I know occurred that she did not add into this book, but just the juice that she mm. dropped. 
was enough for me was enough for me and I kept thinking to myself we haven't had like a good celeb memoir in a, in, in a minute it's a dying art it's a dying art. It, it, like I'm, I'm gratified just that we have enough to talk about here on Keep It mm-hmm. because I mean, if I could, I would turn this whole thing into a celeb memoir podcast, you yeah. know, in a hostile takeover. <laughs> but um, I was going to say I was disappointed <laughs> in the press about this book that so many people are focused on the Ashton Kutcher of it yeah. all. When that is not a fascinating era of Demi Moore At to all. me. No. I'm more interested in the brat packiness mm-hmm. and specifically the time in the '90s when she was getting so much money for movies yes. that did so badly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Like when you think like when's the last time anybody watched The Scarlet Letter which that's like the last definitive movie version of that and she started it with Gary Oldman and it is The Pits. It (laughs) is a horrifically bad movie. Yes. I mean I feel like she spent a a good chunk of time on Blame It on Rio and I appreciated that. No I like that too. You know what I mean? Just talking about being in Brazil doing cocaine Cocaine every every day. Looking for it. Hunting for it. With her friend Zizi. Yes. Who she's still friends with to this day. I love how she adds that. Just like, (laughs) she's like, don't talk anymore about anything else that happened during the shoot for Blame It on Rio. So she spends a lot of time on Blame It on Rio. And I am actually waiting for another memoir from her. Because uh, when, when we interviewed Kathleen Turner, I remember she had a memoir, but she also had a Kathleen Turner on acting. Right. So someone interviewed her about each movie she'd mm-hmm, done. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for actresses like Demi, like people who were really like big actors being paid so much money, like they were Hollywood stars. I would love just a book of someone being like, all right, no small affair. Okay. Right. One crazy summer. Okay. <laughs> the Butcher's Wife. Because the Butcher's my, Wife. Yeah, oh my God. Which legendary uh, movie poster. If you look at her, I'm like, yes. that's her? Yes. Um, she's blonde on the cover of that yes. movie. Um, in that same vein, Ira, my favorite part of the book is when she is talking about the filming of the movie Indecent Proposal. And yes. Yes. The, okay. the director of that movie during Adrian sex Lynn. scenes is screaming things like, ooh, that g- gave me a boner. Yeah. It's really, Fucking really disgusting. Cheese. And she's like very 80s about it. Yes. yes. <laughs> She's like, ultimately, it was helpful to the scene. I was like, not that, to me. Not to me. <laughs> so, look. The, she mentions it again <laughs> when she goes, wait, she mentions it again when she talks about when she goes to dinner with Sharon Tate's husband. Oh, yes. Roman Polanski. Roman yes. Polanski, sorry. So, Roman, I just, you know. The book has a lot of, these are the sensibilities of a woman who came up in the 80s. 90s in a very in Hollywood. sexist Hollywood that treated her in a sexist way. Yes, and you you see from her upbringing, uh, you know, parents constantly fighting, um, splitting up, moving her everywhere. Uh, her mom's constant suicide attempts that were for attention. Her dad being not her dad, not her dad, not being her dad, and being uh, also a scammer, <laughs> a, a scam likely, a scam actually. <laughs> <laughs> Every single thing was a scam. I'm like, I I didn't know that you grew up in Paper Moon. I'm <laughs> <laughs> the grift constantly. Right. Uh, and you know, and she talks about you know being raped at a young age, yeah. and I just think, and like her her mom sort of being friends with that person and probably knowing about it, yeah. and getting paid, getting her paid, paid yes. five hundred dollars. Yes. So there's a lot in here that's like. Oh, this is kind of dark to see that this is her outlook on life because it's what her life and Hollywood just sort of beat into people. 
during that era. You know, because she, she the before the Adrian Lynn movie, she talks about she talked with Glenn Close, and Glenn Close was like, "Just so you know, when I shot Fatal Attraction, who he, but he also directed, yes, um, Adrian was yelling the same things at me on set, and I'm like that's not okay. Yeah, it's really it's really creepy. frightening. Yeah. Um, also, there's when I was reading the book, I, I was reacquainted with the fact that Demi Moore is also somebody who. She was definitely A-list for a long time, but also never truly respected. As in, she got big projects and stuff, but she and Madonna were the reason the Razzies existed. You know, and I, I, I talked about this on an old Keep It years and years and years ago. But um, Yes, Keep It, which famously started in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> the finale of MASH, went, we started right there. Um, but I always thought the Razzies were... Ri- gently ribbing male stars like Sylvester Stallone, what a joke, you know, yeah. and like, and nobody thought Sylvester Stallone was anything. Meanwhile, they would like harangue female stars for sure. trying to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like Demi Moore is like the epitome of that, of somebody who just got bad scripts, maybe took on some bad scripts, gave performances that some thought were wooden, but at the but she got an outsized amount of criticism for those. Mm-hmm. She was seen as bossy and entitled. But the thing is is that she was one of the few actresses who didn't have to audition that much. Yeah. And then she can just go and say I want to do this and they'd be like sure, yes. And people just gave her what she wanted and sometimes it was a win, sometimes it made sense and sometimes it was like her just thinking this is going to be the best thing ever. Like striptease. I re- went back and revisited striptease and I thought, you know, today it would probably still flop. Yeah. But it wasn't as terrible as people, considering that Showgirls was right around that era, I, I feel like it wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. But I also felt like it was a huge fuck you because if you think about it, right before that, it was all of those photos of her out on the beach after she had Tallulah. Right. Of her being not in the best shape and it was that was her chance to sort of be like well f you this is i'm going to look great and i'm going to option this story and make it into this film and get paid the most and like pay equity people women weren't talking about pay equity mm-hmm. like that and she was also one of the first to sort of be out there you know talking about getting top billing equal pay you know all the things mm-hmm. i mean speaking of strip tees armada sante right yeah this is the armada sante <laughs> hour i guess uh there was this idea that she was one of those actresses who really was celeb culture, right? Yeah. You know, you think about actresses now who, like, we revere, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like a Sally Field or something, right? It's like they are famous because they're an actress. Yeah. And we see their movies and they win awards. And then there are people who are famous because they are in the tabloids. They were glamorous like a, thinking, and also in movies. Thinking like a J-Lo. Yeah. yeah. Like J-Lo yeah. would have been very much Demi Moore if she were older. I think a, a good 90s corollary would be Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. Like people could not shut the fuck up about Sharon Stone and now you could probably name four main movies of Sharon Stone's from that time, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas Which one? J-Lo, <laughs> J-Lo's <Casino>. now <laughs> in an era where she's able to make savvier choices and actually be in sort of good movies. Mm-hmm. Or we we sort of even respect the dumb movies she does because they're fun and we like her as opposed to these bad movies. But then she can also sense. look aspirational. Like mm-hmm. the lifestyle is an aspirational thing. Like for Demi, it was like the movie star, action hero husband, you know, the three girls having like, being like a mom. 
being beautiful, just being breathtaking and Mm -hmm. always sort of serving it up. Like when we think about Ghost, she wasn't the best part of Ghost, but she wasn't, she certainly wasn't the worst part Mm -hmm. of Ghost. Yeah, she was fine in Ghost. She was fine in Ghost. Mm -hmm. It's, It's so interesting hearing her talk about like, Ghost and like a few good men, yeah. And t- you talk about how she was honored to be on the set with so many these actors. Like she talks indecent proposals. She keeps thinking like, you know, I was on screen with a legend, Robert Redford, and it really just sounds like this woman, yeah, who's been not respected, and she felt like it was just you know sort of an honor for her to be allowed on the set. Right, no, there's a part in the book where she talks about how she met Andy Warhol recently in the 80s, and then invited him to her wedding and then she heard through the grapevine that he was so flattered to be invited yeah. like that is that it, it's weird to hear it from her perspective because you can tell she's bewildered by it you yeah. know she's never for one second like and of course he should be feel honored to be invited to my wedding she's mm-hmm. like no i don't know what the deal was right which uh, which makes the incident with vanity fair seem so shocking right because the interview came out um the one that accompanied her nude pregnant uh photograph by by Miss Leibovitz. Um she talks about how the interview though was like Demi Moore is a bitch. She's bossy, <laughs> you know, like causing trouble upset. And I feel like it was such that's a... how she thought that people perceived her so much. But do y'all remember that? Were you old enough to like were you guys old enough to remember? I remember that the all? cover. It was so there was so much discussion about it for the longest longest time it just and i'm an old lady (laughs) but there was so many conversations on morning news evening news nightly news late night there was i remember going to the grocery store and it was covered up like you knew what it you knew what it looked like but all the stores had covered it up Mm -hmm. and i just think like that's why she's an icon because t- today nobody would even care about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, no you you see a, a magazine cover like that once every couple months. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's Sports what Sports Illustrated do. has the new whatever the naked issue, whatever they do. Yeah, they all look like that. They now. all look like that. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful too because I love that haircut of hers from that era. To be honest, the one that she tried to get in Paris and they right. messed up. Well, so that was a very funny exchange. She talks about how. She wanted to get Isabella Rossellini's haircut. So she went uh, to Paris. She was in Paris, and they fucked it up and gave her that short haircut. And then she came back and asked a hairdresser friend, hi, can you fix this? And he was like, you know, I'm the one who you did, did Isabella Rossellini's haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Should have come to me first. She got the miles, though. Yeah, she did. Uh, when I think of Demi Moore, to be honest, there, there are two versions I think of her. I think of Ghost Era short haircut Mm -hmm. Uh, just because I feel like Ghost was a film that was constantly in rotation at home. I watched Ghost a lot. And, they, and that movie used to freak me the fuck out. By really? The way. No, it made me the, cry. Well, no, the, the I was The first always, time I cried in theaters was at Ghost. I think one of the first nightmares I had that wasn't about Freddy Krueger was being uh, dragged was, away by those demons. Yes, the demons it really dragging scary... the villains to hell was a frightening moment. And if I'm not mistaken, it's a PG movie or something. It's really frightening. It might be PG-13. But I, you know what? That movie, she was right when in her description of that movie. It was quirky. Yes. Ghost is quirky. I mean, it's, she was literally like, this is 
four different movies. <laughs> it's four different movies. <laughs> and, and and then Whoopi Goldberg is just running around the movie yeah. being a scammer psychic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's sort of her own movie in, in yes. and of herself. Yes. But, but I mean, obviously, what a wonderful performance and, and an Oscar winning performance. Tony yes. Goldwyn. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 funny too because she really is the least remembered thing yeah. about that movie. I mean, we remember Patrick Swayze. Yes. Because it's Patrick man, Swayze. He did such good him. work. And Whoopi, I mean, the most memorable thing from Ghost is Molly, you and Danger, Danger Girl. Girl. Yes. So I think the bank scene is, the, to me, the Oscar clincher. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but then the other, to me, I remember Ashton era. Right. Um, but Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Which I that think is comeback. now, I want to say that is now her lasting iconic moment. As in, if you, if you talk to somebody who's 24 years old, they're yeah. going to bring that up. I was never good. I was, was great. great. I've actually never seen that movie. I don't think there's uh, anything what? in it for what? me. What? Charlie's Angels Full Throttle is a bop. Meaning what? It, it First of all, first of all she, it, she has a point. It's an point. icon. It's a legend. And it is the moment. Yeah. No, I mean, she looks stunning, obviously. I yes. honestly don't think that movie would have worked without somebody like her in it. Because that mm. movie is all over the freaking place. Yeah. Justin Golden Thoreau, Gun. The Golden Gun. There's so much going Justin on in that Thoreau movie. Is Justin so Thoreau is so fucking hot so in that fucking movie. Hot in that movie. But there's also... Speaking of Jennifer Aniston. Speaking of. <laughs> when they say full throttle, like, you watch Charlie's Angels, and then you see the sequel, and it's definitely, like, turned up. Oh, I see. It's volume yeah. hot. It's, it's Shia LaBeouf's in it. Yes. Bruce Willis is in it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much going on. The story is all over the place. But to me is, I went to the Charlie's Angels 2 premiere, and I remember just seeing, like, that was the first time her and Ashton and all the... And they all came together. And this was like the heyday of just cele- like pop. This is like when pop culture Correct. Was, ju- yeah. was just, ha- it wasn't like, like a- the beginning of a Paris Hilton, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. And then things were like starting to sort of like, you knew it was going to die soon because it can't get hotter than this. But she was, when they first got together, I and I like hearing like her inner monologue about what she felt like people thought and like how her agent who I- was, I think it was Kevin Huvane at the time mm-hmm. was basically telling her that being with Ashton is making her look desperate mm-hmm. and like, you know, not serious, like not a serious actress. But mm-hmm. I just the only thing that makes me angry about that whole exchange, even though they were a hot couple, is how much energy and effort she put into him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really sapped. He like, was not what, worth it. He was not worth it. It's also weird to see it so spelled out in the book. Like she talks about how she was pressured into Three ways with him to keep it alive, which is a very uh, Jane Fonda, Roger Vadim era mm-hmm. yeah. marriage uh, yes. uh, concession. Yeah. Um, what, what's funny about the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle thing, by the way, is our friend Matt Rogers is mentioned in the book. Yes. Oh, right. As a, because, as a young journalist yeah, who interviews her recently, yeah. I think at Sundance. Yeah. She said, a young journalist interviewed me at Sundance and said that uh, the moment where you say, I was never good, I was great, and a single tear rose down your eye is his favorite moment from any film. And I remember, t- I, I texted Matt and said, your favorite moment in any film, bitch. I would say <laughs> slightly thirsty. Uh, you ever he... seen Citizen Kane, girl? Yes. <laughs> I doubt Matt Rogers has seen Citizen Kane. I we can discuss that another time. Uh, but he then mentioned that she's also a great crier in Ghost, you know, right. and like she's one of the most, one of the iconic Single criers tier. in film, and she goes on a tangent about how. Oh my God, I was so worried about crying and ghosts and now to be remembered as a 
crier on screen. She's also a really great producer. She produced a lot of films. She mm-hmm. produced Austin Powers, the Austin well, Powers oh, series. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And she just doesn't get a lot of credit. I feel like, and, and from what it sounds like based on her book, I mean, she seems like a perfectly nice woman. I'm sure she had to make tough decisions and be that bitch in certain occasions. But I really don't see why people have always sort of mistreated her. Yeah. I mean, she was she's like the epitome of somebody who was treated as overexposed almost immediately. Yeah. As in, like, she's like, you know, taking up too much of our time. But I would say what's interesting is in thinking about my favorite movies of hers, I would have to go with a more recent one. You ever seen Margin Call? Mm. I haven't. No. Maybe I should. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> she, uh, she's ba- she's definitely the only woman in it. Yeah, but um, Kevin Spacey's I, in it, right? It's uh, yeah, barely. It's it's more. Um, I Z- feel like he was Zachary Quinto and okay. and Jeremy Irons has a big moment. In okay, it. Yeah. I feel like Penn they Badgley. really yes, Penn Badgley. They put a lot of Kevin on the cover of the the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that was when you marketed him, right? I, I don't know what you would do with him at this point. Where's that memoir? Where's that memoir? Well, in the garbage, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'd read it. I'd read it. I would. And I'd read a Brian Singer memoir. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, mean, I wouldn't they, buy they, it. I would torrent it. They'd probably. I would download it illegally. Though, <laughs> Posthumous. Because, right. Because, I don't want to see. Any memoir from yes. either of them would send them to prison. I don't want a publicity tour. Yes. You know, I don't want you on my screen. <laughs> yes. I want I want them to die and then I want to read. You can I write a read college this journal. Like Amanda Woodward in Melrose Place. 100%. Exactly. 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 You All right. I've decided to forgive you both. Okay. Right. I thought you were ghouls for a moment. No. I wasn't about to be like, I still stand Kevin Spacey. I flew to Italy to hear him read poetry. <laughs> no, we didn't. We would never. I like um, the idea of a movie like St. Elmo's Fire, where it's just a bunch of like, which of these people is going to be super famous? The answer is four of them. You know, I like like jump off point movies right uh, there was a lot of sax in that movie mm-hmm. that movie <laughs> yeah. is that movie is god awful yeah it's oh you hadn't seen it before no I, I saw it in college oh okay and I was like what the fuck is this movie I never I was a kid when it came out and all I remember the most iconic thing is, is her room her room is like this hot pink yes, yes. and, and that was iconic isn't there a scene where she's like Crying on the floor, sacks blaring like the the the, the, the curtains, curtains billowing. That's why I literally painted my bedroom pink when I was in my twenties. Like, that same Suspiria? color. <laughs> <laughs> She's like literally iconic though for women back then. It was all about blondes. It was all about like this, like the the like that, and she was a raspy, you know, right, right, brunette, pre Winona, pre Winona. Yeah, you know. Here's the thing I want to ask: uh, talking about how she discusses sexuality and et cetera. Yeah. Um, I want to know what you think of her response to the indecent proposal reviews, because she talks about how would it came out people were like oh this is the year of the woman but you know it's also about the year of buying women and it's like it says you know Robert Redford is basically just sort of like raping her in the movie Mm -hmm. because it's like he's paying for her but she talks about how with the childhood and like her mother like selling her off to the Mm -hmm. man who raped her when she was younger she finds the movie empowering because it's a woman on her own terms deciding to have sex for money I think it's the, it's a very it her 
reasoning behind complica- it did not shock me. No, right. but one thing that complicates this is that the movie sucks. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think the timing of it with the with the market being what it was at that time, also I think people, it, I, I like that it created conversations about would you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think any movie that is capable of doing that, this is in an era before social media, and that you were able to sort of draw out these conversations that got people playing around with like, you know, gender a, roles. Like she's going to have to save us by putting it out. That movie is a black Twitter um yeah. Twitter question. Yes. Would, yes. Would, would, would you, you? Would, would you sleep with a man for this much money? I mean, would you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, do we have any final thoughts on Demi's memoir? I really hope this gives us a demissance. Yeah. You know, I feel like she's earned... It's not even about earning it. She deserves it. Oh, final thing. One of my favorite anecdotes in the book was talking about being on the set of A Few Good Men and how one day it took forever for Jack Nicholson to come out of his trailer because he knew in advance Magic Johnson was going to announce that he was HIV positive. Yes. And he had to and go he and had watch to, it. He had to watch it. Because he's such a Lakers fan. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Like, he has spots in the Lakers. But also, <laughs> you knew he was going to announce he was HIV positive, so why did you need to watch it? Why did you need yeah. to watch it? <laughs> it wasn't a game. Right. It, was, it wasn't like... <laughs> what did he think was going to happen? Yeah. I really would love to be a fly on the wall of him watching that. Just that, like, My Week with Marilyn biopic. Like... <laughs> Six days of Jack Nicholson in his trailer. <laughs> My week with Magic Johnson's HIV. Oh, God. I just want to know. Sounds There's, like Jack. The thing is, is like that's still an era. The, the When she was working, when she was at the height of it was the height of when you can clearly do whatever they, and I, those are the stories I love the most, the 80s, early 90s when people were really unhinged. And- there were so many stories in the book. I mean, mo- there was her, more money. It basically, like a- her career happened because the producers liked her and paid for her to go to rehab Yeah, so that she could be on set of the fucking movie. And it's just like the idea that... Joel Schumacher was, Joel Schumacher was not like, having it. But the this fact that Joel same, Schumacher... Same fire, yeah. yeah, pre him being like, oh... I'm going to put you in rehab so you can do St. Elmo's Fire. It's just like the idea that you were putting so much effort into an actress who but that's has a drug and alcohol problem. Um, same thing with Melanie Griffith. Yep. And mm-hmm. on Working Girl. Yeah. They, you know, like, and the thing is, is like these women have been afforded uh, opportunities that not many get, uh, you know, to have a man be, you know, be so empathetic to your plight or your situation. I feel like her career sort of is parallel with Melanie with all the you know the yeah. famous husbands the children the wanting to be a mother sort of being you know well mm-hmm. I will say that they both have minds for business and bods, bods for sin alright we'll be right back with Miss Gia Tolentino With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense. 
so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Gia Tolentino, I'm so excited. Thank you guys for having me on Keep It. <laughs> oh my God, of yeah. course. I, yes. I just want to say the name Trick Mirror and just like the cover is so 70s that every time I look at it, I keep singing Music in the Mirror from a chorus line. And that's probably <laughs> just me. <laughs> this was the intended thing you wanted, right? <laughs> well, I didn't realize till. Like, so I'm from Texas, and I, I'm from Houston, so most people from Houston don't have Texas accents. Like, my parents aren't from Texas, but I realized after I sold the book that I can't say mirror properly. Like, I say it like mirror, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I say trick mirror. Like, I can't like I can't say it like mirror or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I love your guesses like, oh, as to what fuck, mirror I've sounds sold- like. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how, how do y'all say it? Let me say it. Mirror. Mirror. Ira kind of says it, yeah. So, Louis, you say it kind of like I do, mirror, like one word. Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, anyway. Louis is from um, the Hicks. Yeah, the, the cover is very 70s. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love the cover. I love the words. I mean, I knew I was going to love the words because you are a fantastic writer. Thanks, man. And I always love reading your writing. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Ira and I were just comparing favorite parts of this book. I'm going to jump into the part about literary heroines and your relationship with them. Can you just talk about? Oh yeah. Can you just talk about like you? First of all, you clearly have read everything. First of all, just the sheer amount of like characters you cover in this section is so sprawling. But just talk about what led you to reevaluate how you absorbed these stories and how you kind of resented the implication that you should relate to them and just how you yeah. you know what you've taken from reading all these stories. The thing about this this heroine's essay in all the conversations about representation in pop culture and you know identification I I just I've never felt connected to any of that like I never I never had the impulse to be like am I a Carrie, am I Samantha, am I a whatever? I I never connected to the, you know, which little women's sister are you, like all of that. I never had the impulse to try to see myself in anywhere in pop culture. I knew that there were two things that went into that. One, it was absolutely a racial thing. I still have never seen anyone on camera really ever that's anything like me or, or had a life anything like mine. And it's partly because my life was kind of particular. Like my parents are Filipino, but I grew up in Houston and the suburbs. And I think it never it never even occurred to me as a possibility that I could be represented. And as a result, like I have not needed – I've sort of developed this thing where, you know – I can understand pop culture representation as an important issue and not personally relate to it as something that I have needed to build my sense of self. And so there was that. And there was also the fact that there was something about me that didn't want to identify with these narratives about women for specific reasons that I I thought that I could identify if I went back and read basically all the books about the sort of canonical heroines from Laura Ingalls to – you know, Esther in the bell jar to, you know, Anna Karenina. And there was this thing about the trajectory of literary heroines. And yeah, I just read constantly as a kid. I I still read constantly. 
there was this thing, there was this journey that they went from these brave, plucky, like super adventurous girls and then they would get to be teenagers and they would – the story would become about how they were really beautiful and they were really desirable and they were so depressed and, you know, the future was opaque and mysterious and like sexy but scary and bad. And then they would get older and then they would get married and they would become bitter women who were trapped by the economics of marriage or by infidelity or whatever and then often they would die like in The Age of Innocence or Madame Bovary or Anna Karenina, like all of these all of these stories or The Awakening. And I was like, what is it – why is this the trajectory of literary heroine? Why Why is it that I only identified with these girls? I was like, am I like, you know, is this a case of like severe arrested development? Like, am I super childish? Like, why is it that my identification stopped short in pop culture when I was about seven years old and just never? And it was just this idea of like how the, you know, the narratives we look at, the narratives we read shape the narratives that we develop about our lives. It was also just really fun to read all those books again. You know, like maybe it was like – that maybe the essay was just a pretense for me to get to read all that shit. Mm, I did not write an essay when I reread all the Goosebump books, so at least you did something. Did right. you really? Yes, I reread them. <laughs> oh my Were they gosh. scary? Some of them are scary. Uh, the yeah, ones some of them the are dummy. really scary. Oh, dumb, dummies are, oh, yeah. are yes. historically scary. I remember Be Careful What You Wish For is a particular goosebump. This is what you wanted to talk about, right, Gia? Okay, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was always scared by the ones, like like any funhouse, clown adjacent, like that mm-hmm. stuff was so fucked up for me. Have you guys rewatched Are You Afraid of the Dark at yes, all? Yes, the clown episodes are the scariest ones of Are You Afraid of the Dark. It's still scary? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> the one with the clown in the funhouse. Yeah, and the one where the girl gets like shrunk down, you know, and like mm-hmm. lives in the little dollhouse. Is that oh. like that one scared the shit out of me? That scared me because not only was she trapped in a dollhouse, but she lost human qualities. Like she became porcelain. <laughs> yeah. and, like, she was in a very kind of um, American doll outfit. So she was just losing any semblance of humanity. Wow. Yes. Them- I'm really surprised they haven't rebooted Are You Afraid of the Dark, honestly. Like they're rebooting all this dumb stuff, and it's like, you know, g- give me some more of that. Like I'd watch it. Yeah, and uh, I think mostly some of them are just dumb. Like, there's one episode where um, it's based on the fact that Native Americans don't like having their pictures taken because they can steal your soul. Right. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) And this girl is just horrified of having her photo taken. Oh, no. That's so – yikes. I don't remember that one. I remember also there was like a – it was a Goosebumps maybe or it was like Fear Street where like like something – it was like a toilet-based monster. It was like something would jump up through the toilet hole and like mm. attack you. And I remember like I couldn't sit down to take a shit for like a year when <laughs> oh, I was that's like a problem. seven years I old. I do remember you know what I mean? a Goosebump book about a sponge that was It came an from alien. beneath the sink. Yes. I remember it well. Um, what? It, it, it was called It Came From what Beneath the Sink. And it was a alien sponge. <laughs> this is when, like, we're getting into like the thirtieth or thirty first book, and and R.L. Stein's uh-huh. like, "What if we, you know, like made the sponge called, a little frightening?" Like one called Vampire Breath. Yeah. It's like you're really he's looking around. Like he's just like, "What do I got?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> his water bottle. These curtains do, do, do are you kind think of he scary. Wrote all of them. Yeah. You know, I I based on how present he is on Twitter, I feel like like maybe he yeah. must have been pretty with it. You know, I don't yeah. know. There are some things that that novels are really incredible at doing, um, Mm -hmm. and I think that, like, notoriously, fiction is really bad at being sexy, and it's also really – it's hard to find a really scary book. Well, don't tell E.L. James that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, I like – like, books are – it's really hard. Like, it's – 
almost all famous fiction writers are pretty bad at writing sex. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to write sex, and it's also really hard to be scary. There was this book called Fever Dream by a, um, a Spanish writer named Samantha Schweblin, and it was fucking scary as shit. Like, it's like a, a single-sitting novel, and I— like I, I mean, I was so scared by the end of reading it, and I think they're adapting it, and it's going to be great. But it's like I also I admire those books for actually being able to be scary. And I don't only think it was because we had undeveloped minds as children. Like mm-hmm. if if you read them recently and thought they were scary, maybe I should take a look. Do you think there's something in the idea just of the way we read books then, and the way that you write books that makes it easier for um, just sort of sadness to be something that really resonates in a book? Part of the what I was writing about in that heroine's essay is that men, like great male protagonists, like the one we think of as, you know, you'd have to read like Ernest Hemingway in school and, and you would be told that he was working out the human condition, right? Like Gatsby was about mm-hmm. like this existential situation, the swimmer in the Cheever story, like Raymond Carver's, you know, protagonist, like all of these things would get talked about. They're men it's it's about what it is to be alive as a human. And then novels about women, they're like, they're not about transcendence and, you know, the experience of being alive. They're about what it is to be a woman bounded within really specific social conditions. Mm-hmm. The novels, super, novels are really good at expressing these sort of questions of existence in context of society and systems and culture. Because those things are, like, they take, they're sort of accumulative, right? Like, they, it's like why everyone was calling The Wire novelistic all the time. It's because it takes a long time to build the context that's required to express this sort of stuff. But fear and, you know, horniness like Mm -hmm. that that is sort of a that's sort of like just a sensory almost pre-verbal non-verbal thing Mm -hmm. and that's why I think it's so hard for people to write well yeah I thought that James Baldwin wrote really well like sex scenes in another country um and I really oh yeah and I really feel that um I don't know as teenagers we're done a disservice by the books that we are supposed to read in school. Oh my you know, god. So I, many things absolutely. I love. What was the worst thing y'all had to read in school? Oh god, that's a good question. I, I mean, is it still Catcher in the Rye? <laughs> that I, I hate Catcher in the that Rye. That is but sort I of the definition of like you're supposed to identify with how conversational it is and then whatever you get two years older or you real you realize it immediately at the time this guy is so fucking annoying like why would you assume i relate He's to so this annoying. person yeah <laughs> yeah right takes a second to realize it yeah did y'all have do y'all have to read a separate piece i yes. did not i did not this book radicalized me because it was so fucking boring <laughs> like i was <laughs> it was also like it's so gay in my like you know repressed bible like you know we like weren't allowed to speak the word gay out loud at school mm-hmm. and like and and so and my teacher like I kept being like is this book about their love for each other sexually <laughs> you know and my teacher was like gee that's blasphemous you know the book was so boring we spent so long on it and my teacher wouldn't talk about the only part in it that was interesting and I was just like man you know if it's possible that we have to talk about this boring shit for six you know it's like yeah. that anything's possible in this world <laughs> like like in all these books like I was talking I did that like by the book New York Times questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions they asked was, 
if you could make a book like required reading for anyone under 18, what would it be? And I said this book, Random Family by Adrienne Nicola Blanc. It's like she she followed this one family in the Bronx for 10 years. And it is like it's so full of like desire and violence and just family dynamics. And it just so it's like the best book about the criminal justice system I've ever read. It's just super spicy and it's super, super devoted and empathetic. And it's like I think about, you know, reading All Quiet on the Western Front, you know, I'm just like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I read so many books about like, you know, men at war. And it was like, why? Why? Like Chaucer. Why did we read Chaucer? I like still can't understand Shakespeare. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I would still like I would still need that no fear Shakespeare to it's like, why were we reading that in 10th grade? I like literally can't understand it now. <laughs> right. I feel like what connected me to like Shakespeare was college when I decided when I switched from my English yeah, major to, the, to theater. Um, because mm-hmm. that is Shakespeare. It's theater. You know, you're supposed to be like yeah. living it, talking it, you know, thinking about the fact of us reading Julius Caesar in freshman year. I'm like, what the fuck is this book? Yeah. I, I don't it's, know it's what It's we're also saying. so weird to sandwich in Shakespeare with, you know, contemporary literature, which was just, I felt like in English classes, we just read one right after the other. And you basically need, yeah. you need like a, a, you need to be taught to read Shakespeare. You need mm-hmm. like a month beforehand to learn yeah, it. Yeah, you, you need a really I mean? good teacher. Yeah. Or how yeah. many of us and our development as writers was stunted by the insistence that um, Ernest Hemingway wrote perfect sentences? <laughs> no, exactly. Oh my God. Like one of the things that I have been most grateful about, you know, in recent years and specifically as it pertains to my life and as it has pertained to the reception of this book is that finally, like, we are no longer seeing like, you know, it's just this thing where we all grew up and this like the the straight white male experience was framed as, you know, an explanation of what it was to be a human. Right. Mm -hmm. And everything else was special interest. And. I think as a, you know, in high school, just reading story after story like this, I I just, all of this discontentment was was bubbling in me that our points of views are no longer special interest, you know, in a lot of ways. Like what I, with this book, one thing that I was thinking, like one of my only secret goals for it was I wanted to write a book that was mostly about women, Mm -hmm. but that wouldn't be framed as like, you know, here's a feminist thing that you can choke down to take your medicine, you know, like something (laughs) that was about women, but wouldn't be talked about like that. It would just be like, it's about women, but... It's about it's more than that. It's about being alive right now. But almost all of the book is about women, kind Mm -hmm. of. And um, and I think it was part like my desire to try to do that came out of just like so many just like, you know, like, yeah, Nick Adams fishing over and over and over. (laughs) Uh, The special interest thing, you know, just an aside is so interesting to me, too, because I feel like as a kid, um, a person who loved going to the library, loved going to the bookstore. Like, I lived at Barnes & Noble, right? Um, Yeah. As, like, a young, like, black and gay kid in Milwaukee, it felt very uncomfortable going to the sections where those books that you might be interested in were. It's like you didn't want to be seen mm-hmm. perusing the gay and lesbian section. Right. You didn't want to be seen in yeah, like, yeah, the black to section. About this at Barnes and Noble, like, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, you're only going to read black books? Like, um, yeah. I also remember the gay and lesbian section at Barnes and Noble being exactly one like six <laughs> yeah. six shelf thing, and it was next to like uh, Christian thought. You know, <laughs> it was about that big. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, also, speaking of Shakespearean level things, I did not know you had re- reality television in your deep past. And I do. I am was very fascinated at 
you reviewing yourself on this show that aired on the Noggin Network when you were a teenager. I watched Noggin yeah, all the fucking time. <laughs> did you watch Degrassi? Is that, did you watch Degrassi? You watched Daria? Yes, I watched Degrassi. I watched, I watched Daria. Daria. And I'm pretty sure I saw this show. Um, the show is I think my my year was like kind of boring but so this reality TV show called Girls vs. Boys Puerto Rico (laughs) four guys versus four girls in Puerto Rico (laughs) (laughs) it was like real world road rules challenge but we were all 16 to 18 and um, one thing about that show was I had never before been able to drink freely (laughs) I like I fully gained like 15 pounds (laughs) in like four weeks (laughs) Because it was like I was just like, you know, you're 16 and you can have pina coladas all day. Like it felt like a miracle. (laughs) Right. But I filmed the show in 2004 and I never watched it because I was I think I could feel this age of self-broadcasting cresting. And I think I knew that I would participate in it forever. And I was like, oh, this is you can get away with something here. You can have done something really stupid and never really have to face the consequences of it. So I never watched it. And then I was like writing a book. I was thinking about writing a book about self-delusion and, you know, the, the construction of the self in, in these systems of contemporary life. And I was like, oh, God, I did this show. I have to, like, I remembered I was on the show. And I watched it all, and it was nuts. When, when I think of reality TV, I still, generally speaking, think of people in their 20s misbehaving. You know, it's, it's The Bachelor, it's uh, I Love New York, things like that. But really... The, at the, t- the time of my life when the uh, appeal of reality, I, I would have wanted myself to be on a reality show, probably would have been as a teenager when I was, say, getting into drama club, etc. So it's very interesting to see somebody yeah. who actually did it as a teenager and how, you yeah, know. Yeah, the native narcissism that's universal to all of us as teenagers, I think it's really. And also, like, when we were teenagers, it wasn't, you know, like reality TV hadn't turned into what it is turned into now, right? It was still a novelty, you know. So I re-interviewed everyone I was on the show with, yeah. Yeah, I, I love those interviews with those people, uh, especially the girl who um, just sort of works at Whole Foods and just seems like she has Paris, a the one that we bullied. Yes, Paris, the one you bullied. But, like, the way she still talked was in, like, reality yeah. TV-ready sound bites. So it's like, of course, yeah. there's a, there are those people who were sort of the prototype for what would become the way we talk. Uh, or it's just they learned it from being in that environment. And it's why you can always just sort of go to some small town, right, and just sort of, like, pluck yeah. out people um, and they fit the mold for reality TV so well. I mean, speaking of kids' reality shows, I was obsessed with The Paper, that MTV reality oh, show. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, about I never kids. saw that. What's The Paper? Uh, the Paper was... It was about a high school paper. Yeah. And it aired in about... I think I was graduating college at that time, so it was probably 2008. <gasps> yeah. But it, it really got into... Cypress Bay High School yeah. in Western Florida, <gasps> and it was just about the oh four God. senior editors of a school paper, and cameras <gasps> followed Wait, them oh around. I mean, it just... There's no dorkier conceit. The bold type. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bold <laughs> type, Yes. But, like, so much worse. It's like kids with notepads running around the football field getting quotes and stuff. You know, Harriet the Spy to throw in a reference you made in your book. I've got to watch this. Yeah. Um, If you guys guys could have been on a reality TV show, what would you have wanted to be on? hmm. Hmm. Well, what's weird is what's still on my mind is uh, uh, Ira and I have a mutual friend who won the show Big Brother. Mm -hmm. and I still want to be on Big Brother. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is – I mean – Here's the here's what I need. It's not that I need my cell phone. It's that I need Wikipedia. So to be away from that for four months would truly be the end of it. Uh, yeah. Wasn't there wasn't there that thing with Big Brother? Like, didn't they like not tell them for a day that nine eleven had happened? Yeah. 
isn't there that story? I oh. mean, and I still remember the real world season where they saw 9-11 happening. Like they oh, let fuck. them watch That's the so TV dark. the day of. Um, so but, both of y'all big brother, huh? Yeah. That's so funny. Oh, no. Another one of Lewis's favorites. Uh, I would kill to be on the mall. Oh, I love, I miss the mall terribly. Oh, yeah. Uh, same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Same. I also like, of course, I wanted to be on like Legends of the Hidden Temple. You know, like yes. I think that my Olmec. all of us were yeah, exactly oh, fucking Olmec. I actually found the um, like the the remember how scary it was when the tree's hands would pop out. Oh yes. God, yeah. So Wizard of Oz, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. That I still find really scary. I think all of us on this reality show, like we still we were close enough to being children that we like some of our challenges were kind of Legends of the Hidden Temple. You know, they were assembling mm-hmm. sort of you know. Aztec puzzle, like, you know, super racist Aztec puzzle pieces, I'm sure, you know. Um, But what would you be on now? Let's say you had to be on one today. What would you be on, Gia? Well, so I, so the thing is, about I don't watch any reality TV. Mm -hmm. I I watched, I I would get stoned and watch Shark Tank, like, constantly for a while, and then (laughs) Bethany Frankel went on, and I was like, I can't. And I... But I've never seen The Real Housewives. I've never seen Bachelor or Bachelorette. Never seen Vanderpump, like any of that stuff. And so the thing is, it's like, yeah, if I was conventionally attractive enough to get cast on Bachelorette, and, you know, now I'm, like, way too old. (laughs) But I have always, like, one of the things that I like the most about being a journalist is that it just gives you a way to just plop in somewhere and see something. Like, I would love to be, like, a mole on The Bachelorette. Like, I would love to just somehow trick them into... Like, I'm dying to know what that show's actually like. You know, I loved Unreal. I've never seen the actual Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I, I really want to know what what those shows are like when you film them. Yeah. Um, I want to say that, uh, you know, the your book is also called Is Trick Mirror Reflections on Self-Delusion. And what I really mm. um, liked was what you wrote about just how we all interact with each other on the Internet. And how um, Mm. that phase of, I mean, as someone who used to work at BuzzFeed, right? And um, I remember the days when they were telling us, you know, your post can't be, you can't be a hater. You know, you got to be happy. You know, Um, you always have to love something, right? And now about how the internet now, it just thrives off opposition. Opposition, Uh, It makes me just really think about, like, what are we all even doing on social media anymore and I just I really like how in your book you're able to write about um, how we use the internet today I think that we're all part of this generation that you know like our lives will always be we came of age when the internet did I mean it's it's literally the you know the pulsing organ through which the entire like if through which every other thing in contemporary life is routed you know it's just like it's the beating heart at the middle of everything now and it's and it's also such a nightmare and I think People that do really well on the internet, and I've been thinking a lot with all of, I've been doing a lot of book self-promotion. I've been thinking about what makes people suited to these mechanisms of self-surveillance and self-promotion. And I've been thinking about how long I have been taking to these things without even noticing it, like as with that reality TV show. But there's also something about the internet, the way it's structured. I mean, these companies that are built on monetizing attention they are profitable the 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 more irritated and angry and frustrated we are and there's a way in which that's kind of working into interpersonal interaction where the people that are thriving on the internet are tend to be people that are really good at dealing with opposition you know mm-hmm. they tend to be people that are really good at and i think that there's some people that do this really well and for the right reasons and there are also some people you know like our fucking president who 
you know, use this ability to kind of be a wrestling character with their opposition and they, you know, it, it, you can use it to some literally like, you know, world destroying ends. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that the the shift from the internet being organized around a- affinity and, you know, as much as I don't miss like the upworthy era, like I think even earlier when you think about the 90s, you know, or, like times when the internet was oriented around discovery and surprise and affinity, mm-hmm. the shift between that and it becoming its like driving force being that of like vicious opposition. Mm-hmm. I think that's basically in that essay, I was just trying to figure figure out why the internet used to feel good and why it feels so bad now. And I think that that's one of the huge reasons why. Yeah. And also, like, ourselves, our identities are not meant to be monetized to this degree. <laughs> like, I think that's one of the things that makes us all feel like, what are we doing? It's like the Internet takes this amazing thing, which is just humans trying to figure out who they are and just trying to be alive. And it monetizes it in 95 different directions till, you know, there's this low-level feeling of kind of, like, unsustainability and panic, I think. Yeah. If I can just talk. Also, just about the one thing I really connected with in the book, it's that, you know, it was the idea of, you know, I, I've been myself, um, for other reasons, I have been just sort of um, meditating on the internet and our place in it and just yeah. thinking about even the fact that um, I feel like if I look back at the older days of like when I started on Twitter, like at BuzzFeed, you know, and like when people started to know who I was online, like I was not... Tammy Laren, you know, uh, trying Tommy Laren, whatever her name is, um, trying to be um, like that kind of opposition. But there was some sort of opposition, I feel like, in the way that I operated, in the way that, you know, I would make, you know, like wild jokes about some pop culture topic or like some joke that I know is going to go too far where maybe some people will like it, some people will be mad about it. And that's just sort of how you develop a personality and a person that people want to thrive off either following or they follow you because they don't like you um and it's weird that we all just sort of have become a version of that yeah to be successful i was like that too being at gawker you know working at jezebel which was under gawker i mean it was the entire you know dna of that website was built on being extremely kind of punchy and and combative to some degree and the thing is like that's with all of these things it's like there's something about that that's really important, right? Like the internet is genuinely a really democratizing force because it allows people to punch up no matter who they are, right? It's like it's mm-hmm. that's the thing that allowed, you know, like the like there's a reason that the internet has given rise to these sort of power toppling, you know, like Black Lives Matter and and the Standing Rock protests, right? Like the internet does the, the way that the internet can put people on an equal playing field all of a sudden is also a really amazing thing about it, but it's also one of the reasons that the opposition principle has gotten so intense. Mm-hmm. Um, last question. Did you ever watch the show Ghost Rider? Oh, are you kidding me? I love that show. Okay. Oh, my God. If I hadn't thought about that in years. If we're talking about the internet and opposition, I feel like maybe in those early stages of internet, the first internet villain I remember was when Julia <gasps> Stiles played the hacker Mad Mouse. And she was terrorizing the school. Oh, my God. Was she wearing something like a beret and a leather jacket? She was wearing like a backwards cap and just like, yeah. Yeah, I'm picturing like Wesley Snipes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love Ghost Rider. <laughs> I had all the books of that too. Wait. Yeah. Me too. Wait, Julia Stiles was in Ghost Rider? Yes. Holy shit. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> was she only on one episode? Yeah, all their episodes were like to be continued. Yeah, like epi- so it was like yeah. a four part episode. Uh-huh. Oh wow. Wow, I gotta watch this. It's I, on this YouTube. Is... Thank so you. look it up. Oh my God. <laughs> wow, I can't wait. Our Ginger Rogers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Gia. Yeah, I can't wait to see a return to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> Gia, thank you so much for being on Keep It. Um, you know, I love thank you. Thank you for having for having me on, you guys. Yes, can't wait to see what you write next. I mean, because you're you're still at the New Yorker, so people can read your work there too. You can read more Ajia everywhere. Yeah. I'm overexposed right now, but also, <laughs> I, I won't be soon. <laughs> uh, enjoy the rest of your book tour. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. And we're back with our Keep It Book Club. I know. <laughs> this literacy is just shocking. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about books in, in, in months. Um, but anyway, the Washington Post stirred up some trouble for themselves with their review of Debbie Harry from Blondie's new memoir, Face It. The um, <laughs> tweet they sent out was what people read before we even got to the wild review, <laughs> uh, the tweet of the review said, in her memoir, Debbie Harry proves she's more than just a pretty blonde in tight pants. <laughs> <laughs> there are already in that small sentence four things wrong. Right. First of all, every human being is more than blonde hair and clothes. <laughs> what do you mean you have to prove that? What a crazy idea. It's like it's gaslighting in a way, yes. you know. Also, the idea that a memoir released in 2019 was finally the proof we got that Debbie Harry wasn't just a pretty blonde. Mm-hmm. When I'm watching her sing Heart of Glass in 1978, I'm like, I won't believe it until I read a career <laughs> retrospective from her perspective. <laughs> Rapture? More like dumb bitcher. <laughs> Right, no, it, it's mind blowing. What I said was, it's it's like saying, uh, review. Uh, Marie Curie pr- proves in her new memoir that she's more than just a slut with some beakers. <laughs> it's like you're the one choosing not to count up her obvious accomplishments, her mm. obvious place in rock history. Mm. She was the person who originally wrote "Fade Away" and "Radiate." That's right. Yes, Silkwood <laughs> showers well before they were popular. 
Uh, Debbie Harry has not commented on the controversy, but she, she did the share is. the tweet as publicity before it was called out online. Yeah, she said, she, thanks for the review, our <laughs> She just, she didn't read that shit. She, she retweeted it. Shit. She doesn't know what Twitter is. Nope. Doesn't even have a, what's a tweet? And also, I was, in a way, sympathetic to the writer initially because, you know, sometimes, like at a newspaper, the person who writes the promotional tweet is not the person who wrote the article, so it could have been maligning what she said. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I read the article, and there was only more like insulting so, comments about her. The article is written like a high school thesis paper. It, uh, it's really just bad writing in yeah. general. Like, hail, hail the women of rock and roll, especially those who qualify for an AARP membership. I mean, what? And she, she brought up like Patti Smith and uh, Stevie Nicks and then said that. Just what is that comment? Like, can you believe women got old? It's just a, a crazy non sequitur. The lead to the review also, even if Debbie Harry of the band Blondie isn't to your taste, her voice too thin, her sexiness too blatant, her music too smooth. You can't dismiss certain truths about her. What the, the fuck? fuck? Not to be super trite seeming or whatever, I truly believe that this may not be your taste as part of, rev- of a review is almost exclusively a sexist comment. Yeah. It's the kind of thing you hear in a review of a Kathy Griffin comedy show. Like, this this bitch may be too annoying for you. <laughs> and, and therefore, just dismiss away. You're probably right. But for those who can stand her, it was an okay 90 minutes. Jake Gyllenhaal may be too hot for you, <laughs> but he can act. Yeah. <laughs> also, the by the way. The critic was a woman, by the way. I know, which is Sibby, even stranger. Sibby, named Sibby O'Sullivan. I have also another question. Sounds like a Martin McDonough villain. <laughs> Blondie isn't whose taste? Blondie is everywhere. <laughs> when I hear Blondie, I don't think of punk. I think of being at the grocery store. Yeah. Right. You and I have talked about this so much before, uh, and it was... What prompted me to tweet out some Blondie songs that people should actually listen to? Because uh-huh. I feel like Blondie is one of those bands that has become everyone's taste. There's Heart of Glass. There's One Way or Another. Like these are songs that have been in movies and commercials, the grocery store, tons like, you of hear commercials them everywhere. And if that's all you listen to, you think that this is just Blondie. You know, I mean, I really became a Blondie fan in New York when I started listening to like. They're earlier, like more punk sounding albums, you know, and then like Plastic Letters and even that flop album, The Hunter, uh, have really good songs on them, but you don't hear them everywhere. Well, also, I mean, like, even if you just know their greatest hits, I mean, they're all like wonderful songs. Yeah. It's just they're not niche in any way. And this author is treating her like, I know she's really stepping out on a limb here, getting you to like her, but <laughs> if you just give her a chance, you know. She's. Ext- it, 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 I'm trying to think of somebody to compare it to. It's like saying the Bee Gees. That might not be your taste, you know. I feel like the they're diminishing the contributions based on some of these stories. A couple of stories she herself doesn't have clarity on, mm-hmm. and that was my only issue with some of the 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 you know the review. Obviously, is trash. But she's saying she it may have been Ted Bundy, but that was debunked. Yeah, <laughs> but it could be. And I was just oh like, that wild story <laughs> just, that she's told for years about yes. how Ted Bundy almost killed her. That she was just literally like, in his car. Conviction that she believed that it was Ted Bundy. He had body. The, the only description she has is he had a small white car. He was kind of hot, and he's had really bad bo. 
Like, let me give you a story, Debbie. A lot of white men are just serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of white men just have bad BO and small white cars. I'm going to say she's mm. just describing Silver Lake. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh. <laughs> that could have been anybody. <laughs> I, I, and, I, peop- but... and people have debunked it by saying, I think she was in New York during this yeah. story, and that he allegedly was in Florida at that time. But she's like, that was him, though. <laughs> that was him. I know that was him. Where is that uh, Tarantino-esque um, rewriting yeah, a history movie? Yeah. Like a movie, Debbie Harry versus... <laughs> I mean, that Dead car Bundy. ride alone, you remember how they tried to make a, a film about post 9-11 when Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando and Michael Jackson rode right. across and the country? And it was country. supposed to be Stockard Channing and... Um, I forget who was supposed to play Michael Jackson, a white man. Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Joseph Fiennes. Joseph Fiennes. Fiennes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember who was Marlon. Um, but it's like the, this that ride she had with Ted Bundy, I'd watch like two hours of that. Oh, yeah, right. Of course. You know, I would Completely still watch imagined. the other film yeah. as well. And he, at the end of it, he'd be like, you know what? You have a lot more than a pretty blonde and tight pants. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kill you. Learn something today. We both learned I something today. I won't kill you. Uh, <laughs> we both learned something today. Just to get back to what she is implying about Debbie Harry, I mean, she's implying that people really do think she was a worthless part of that band or that time. There's even a comment in the article where she says, but you can't deny that she was there or that she wasn't there. It's like, she, what do you mean she was there? She was a, a critical part of, uh, you know, punk and punk being popularized. Why can't people just admit that they don't know something and yeah. give the assignment to someone who might be better at it? Yeah, that's right. It comes off as uninformed. Yeah, more than anything. you know what I mean? Like, I just is the problem. Then the biggest issue I have with no offense, but like whatever's behind millennials, it's like, you know, we were, we had to learn about stuff because our parents were old. So we had to know about things, even if we were, there wasn't like a general interest in it. We sort of developed it because of the environments we were raised in. So like, if you don't know anything about Debbie Harry, there's so many things that you can pick up as a reference. The this internet woman is not young. That's, well, then, then she's lazy as fuck. <laughs> she's lazy, and you can't be working at Jeff Bezos's Washington Post <laughs> with that with that kind of work ethic. I saw when Prince. You know died. what it does to people with that kind of work ethic, <laughs> right? Yes. Doesn't pay them. It doesn't pay them. It, it make, takes their health care away. It makes them pee in a truck. Yes. Uh, when Prince died, somebody I know who I think is a, a writer for not like a Daily Beast, but a site like that, had some kind of glib tweet that was like. Prince may not uh, strike you as a musician. What he really was a virtuoso of was sexuality. And I said, Prince played two dozen instruments. Literally. <laughs> it's like, stop. What, what, are, what are you talking, talking about? about? Sasha Stone. I, I, it was very confusing <laughs> at the time. But just, uh, again, you're, you're right. There needs to be more authority on this matter. And by the way, there are tons of people who have written definitive punk histories. So yes. These people were available. The only thing that was interesting in the review is, uh, it makes me want to read more of the book, is uh, talking about how she categorized her own music as sort of a crossover between glitter glam and punk. And she was reluctant to sort of name disco as an obvious influence. Because she came up in the era, you know, where to be sort of legitimate, you had to hate disco music. Yeah, you're saying punk and disco were usually at odds. Yes. um, But her music is very punk disco. Well, certainly Heart of Glass. Heart of Glass, yeah. 
One of the great punk disco songs is uh, Rock the Casbah. Mm. I would say that is both punk and disco. Yeah. I'm here and I like it. <laughs> but wasn't Rapture Rapture was sub- Oh, that's definitely disco too. Yeah. Yeah, but they disco also call hop. it they call yeah, they call it like rap. Like it was, you know, the first time you heard a woman rap mm-hmm. on on, you know, on a track and Yes. Yes. We have Debbie Harry to thank for Lizzo. So this is literally this, <laughs> exactly. Did we, I, I believe it's just also just the first rap. It was the first rap song to go to number one right. on the charts as well. Some of the lyrics in that song are just downright hilarious. I mean, and out came a man from Mars. <laughs> the the amount of like <laughs> Eat easy cars where the people meet. The amount of easy <laughs> rhymes in a row. Yeah, it's very uh, uh, Doctor Seuss. Yeah, face to face, man to man. Don't move too slow, girl. <laughs> I just feel like I actually like that song. <laughs> I love that song. Woman actually got an opportunity to like sit with her. I know she couldn't. There's so many stories that Debbie must have because that was literally the best era to be in New York. Well, she should come on right. and keep it. She should instead. come on and keep it. Yeah, and just literally fuck Zibby, but just to talk about <laughs> '79 to '84 mm-hmm. in New York. And it was marred by by the AIDS crisis, but God, imagine if that wasn't a thing and how much more fun everybody would have continued to have. That was an amazing era, just oh, to yeah. be just to be her. The AIDS era was fun. Didn't you see Normal Heart? I did see. It was Normal a romp. Heart. It was a romp. It was not a romp. <laughs> no, I just feel like you know she says herself in the book. You know, I thank God it wasn't. It was before AIDS. And and oh, uh, when she talked about being. Her 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 rape. Yeah, her rape. Like yeah. she was more worried about the guitars being stolen. I mean, again, like Demi Moore, there was uh, these women, the, the 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 sexual, you know, the sexual politics of being a woman growing up and being this age and being able to talk about sort of what they were going through as they rise to success. Sex was sort of like a, you know, it was annoying part of being a woman and it was something that you but it also felt like it was a tool and a thing that you kind of had to do to get by and when Debbie Harry talks about she you know hated being raped but the guitars being stolen what hurt more that just kind of like pushed my wig back that kind of does put you in like that time in a way yes exactly exactly and and New York in that era too yeah because where are you going to get those guitars again yeah because New York was also horrifying yes yes are we um done with the notion that disco is lame yet, would you say? I think Who we've still been thinks done we've been that. done. Okay. Yeah. I just want to be sure. Have you seen Machina's like fall winter resort line? I, I mean I'm just saying like gay men and women are all about disco. But I think now. I think straight men um Do you think there's like still some shame associated with stuff, it? I think that people use disco so much as like an influence now. Yeah, yeah. That but straight they appreciate it. But did straight men hate disco? Because disco is where you went and got women. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was you, the you, backlash to it eventually. Right. You know, yes. with, with the, I mean, it was it was mostly a racist and homophobic backlash. Right. Yeah, right. You know, it was right. like it was like women and gay men and people of color like loved disco music and were at the clubs. Anyway, I will say that you should still be listening to Blondie. The albums are still good. Pollinator, oh, yeah. which came out, is a great album. I mean, uh, Parallel Lines is the main one, but they're uh, E to the Beat. Yeah, mm-hmm. even their their first one, Blondie has uh, ripped Ripper to Shreds on it. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I think that's still my favorite album of theirs. The first one, yeah, yeah, uh, iconic cover. Yeah, uh, and I saw them recently. They went on a tour with Garbage. So oh. that must have been fun. Fabulous. Yes, amazing. Oh my god, amazing. Anyway, we'll be right back. 
And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. Y'all, it's Keep It. Winter. Oh, making me first. Miss Winter Mitchell. Well, the you're the guest. We let you go first. So my Keep It is for Iggy Azalea, who has reared her head again. I thought I did away with her. You know how I feel about her. Well, you know, she pops up and then we get six more months of winter. <laughs> <laughs> what happens she is being a hater again which she's so incredibly good at uh lizzo's song truth hurts is fifth consecutive week number one right behind it is like camilla cabello's senorita with her boyfriend um what's his name sean mendes yes that's his name yes they are paying a lot for you to know their relationship i'm i'm very much aware okay they They, i woke up next to him this morning there's not a camera they don't love um so you know lizzo's doing what she's supposed to do she's doing her promotion she's doing her due diligence she wants to sort of you know break those records and if she does then she'll beat fancy which is written by charlie xcx yes and sang by or rapped by Iggy Azalea and Iggy spoken worded by spoken Iggy worded Iggy did not take too kindly to the suggestion that she a record that she is clinging onto would be broken by Lizzo so she has so what did Lizzo tweet Lizzo goes y'all all caps by the way if we keep this up for two more weeks truth hurts could be the longest female rap number one of all time right now it's fancy can we do it and she says, and by the way, Fancy's a bop. My friend Charlie XCS wrote it. Stream it. Oh, how nice of her. So nice of I, her. I love a charitable well, Lizzo. Stream, yes. She said stream Charlie's new album. Charlie's new yes. album. Right. I'm sorry. Which, which everyone new. should stream. Because 100%. It's that great. That album is everything. Fantastic. I love girl power. And Iggy, you know, loudly clears her throat and said, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> But I believe that I was the one doing the heavy lifting. I'm not going to quote, actually go and give her uh, Twitter any. I'm just going to paraphrase that I was the one who did the heavy lifting on Fancy. And then implored all 15 of her fans (laughs) to stream Senorita by Camila Cabello and Shawn Mendes. You are going to have the Azalets after us on social media. I don't give a damn. Wait till you hear my thesis about Azalea Banks. They are angry white teenagers. I who, don't care. Angry gay white teenagers. They are the gay equivalent of Eminem fans. If she really was encouraging people to stream Senior Rita in a sort of contentious yet sarcastic she way. She added it to her her name. Yeah. Her, her Twitter name. I Her uh, Twitter name is Stream Senorita. Yes, inside, you know, before. Iggy Stream Senorita yes, exactly, Azalea. Yes. Guys, I think the that's a little funny. <laughs> but that is funny. I think it's a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a keep it to Winter Mitchell. Because Iggy Azalea is the queen of comedy. <laughs> Lucille Ball equals Iggy Azalea. <laughs> Whew. Whew, child. Olivia Newton-John found dead. Dead. <laughs> She snatched that crown right clean off of her. That that actually is kind of funny. Iggy Strings. Just can you imagine? How do you drum up this level she's so of petty? petty? She's so petty. Right. In a way, it's she's unafraid of being hated. She's just like, bring it on. No, she absolutely hates being hated, but she's like, if this is gonna be the last moment, if this is gonna be the last moment, you know, every time she does something, I think she's wondering, is this it? Is mm-hmm. this it? Is this when I completely become irrelevant? Well, let me go out like you know, on t- you know, on my own terms. Mm-hmm. At least it's funny, and it's not her. You know, threatening to butcher someone with a knife like Azalea Banks. 
<laughs> right. Whenever she's mad at someone, it's like I have to call the police. Now. I'm scared from. <laughs> I'm so scared whenever she goes off. Whatever she's not, you know, doing for her own self care. Go back to Rihanna's basement and eat some crackers. All right. <laughs> or don't sacrifice anything. She loves to sacrifice things. Lewis, what is your keep it? My keep it is to a precious individual named me. Uh, because... I thought you were going to say Gabby Sidibe. No. <laughs> <laughs> Paula Patton. Yes. A precious individual. Months ago, my keep it was to the idea of the movie Judy, the. Judy Garland biopic starring Renee Zellweger because the trailer at the time didn't really indicate what kind of movie it was. We didn't, you didn't get to see a lot of Renee as Judy in it. And you just suspected that it would be a bland biopic, an unnecessary biopic. Well, it came out last weekend. In a way, the movie was getting kind of good reviews. It's getting like B reviews. I would say it is a a B plus and her performance is Fabulous. I say keep it to myself because I should have known that Renee Zellweger would not let us down. With the exception of the movie she won an Oscar for, I really love her as an actress. Cold Mountain. That's what I'm saying. Who's coming back to Cold Mountain? Garbage. Who's coming back to Cold Mountain? So this movie, um, the entire time I immediately am comparing it to Me and My Shadows, which is the famous long... Judy uh, Davis. Yes, Judy Davis take on Judy Garland and Tammy Blanchard as young Judy Garland, which is legendary because that movie is really about... Um, not just Judy's kind of tragic childhood, but her volatility as an adult and her the tragedy, the pill popping, etc. This movie, it's right before Judy Garland's death in the late 60s, but it's not really about her as a tragic figure so much as it is about finding the tenderness within the Judy Garland we knew at the end of her life. And so we see her interacting with her gay fans and how uh, it, it was her gay fans who sort of propped her up, built the legacy she has now. And the movie, Just like Renee Zellweger. That, you think so? Yeah. I guess that's kind of true. Um, but Renee as Judy Garland, the electrifying part of the performance is when she's actually performing as Judy Garland, singing. First of all, while she is doing the actual singing, it, it never sounds exactly like Judy Garland, but you're never mad about it, which is a triumph in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But secondly, in this movie... Something actually happens to you when you're watching it that the experience goes beyond entertainment because she captures her movements and glances in a way that it is actually almost scary. It's like a bracing feeling when you're watching this movie. And so... I, I, I can't think of another biopic experience like that. Like, if you think of Sean Penn and Milk, he's just amazing as Harvey Milk. But this one, there are moments when you are almost struck by lightning in how she captures Judy Garland. the way she holds the microphone. Yes, and like mm. the microphone cord over her shoulder, the, like these specific Well, you never really believe Sean Penn could suck a dick, you know? That's right. Well, <laughs> honestly, in that movie, I did. I did. Um, famously, on the set of that movie, when he made out with James Franco, he texted Madonna and said, well, I just made out with my first man, and she texted back, congratulations. Anyway, Madonna is sometimes the best. Sometimes. Uh, but I just want to say, you need to see this movie because I don't know of another biopic performance where you are actually jarred into wondering if you are entertained at all or just frightened. Mm. You know, I want to see it. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited for a renaissance. Sure. Yeah. I'm excited that this is good because What If was abysmal. Which is a crazy thing that she would be in right before this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Also, Listen, from an- whoever is up against her for Best Actress just... 
send around DVDs of What If to the voters. Ooh, <laughs> so rude. She don't would, deserve, so would, nasty, would, so rude. Just, just be an she don't deserve like, that. Oh, I, I love being in this category with Renee, you know? I, I just, has... I just rem- remember What If. <laughs> <laughs> but from an Oscars perspective, let's say Renee Zellweger did win for this, a movie in which everyone unanimously agrees she's amazing. After getting an Oscar that was mainly just Goodwill, it's an Elizabeth Taylor story for our times. Mm-hmm. The Butterfield 8 win, which people were like, Elizabeth Taylor's sick. We have to give her an Oscar. We'll just give it to her for anything. And then she won for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is one of the all-time great performances. Yes, and Butterfield 8 is garbage. It is the garbage. (laughs) Was she nominated for for Chicago? Yes. Yes. This would be her fourth nomination. She deserved. Was she nominated for Jerry Maguire? No. No. She was nominated for Bridget Jones' Diary, Chicago, Cold Mountain, and now probably. Jerry Maguire? Definitely Judy. She deserved. Jerry Maguire, she did deserve. I love Jerry Maguire. That's my number one favorite movie. People yeah. can argue with Is it me really? About it. Yes, absolutely. I love Tom Cruise. It's a perfect movie. I'm sorry. I love Tom Cruise. Yeah. I like it. It's also a reminder of the time we really put a lot of stock in Jay Moore. We, we uh, really? Can I tell you the Jay Moore playing story? Playing by Heart. Remember that movie? Anyway. Remember when, I love this TV show, Action. I did mm-hmm. love that show. I do love Jennifer Aniston, him saying that, telling that story about how Jennifer Aniston. He overheard her complaining about how ugly he was on the set of Picture Perfect. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was very that. much like a look at him. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's crazy. She should have offered him some smart water. Yes. Yes. Also, that's yes. the worst movie. But anyway, uh, Picture Perfect. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. We could just talk all Not day as bad long. as Butterfield 8. Not no, as bad. True, true, true. Yeah. Anyway, Renee, thrilled for you. Yeah, kill it. Also, come on, keep it. We'll just ask you all the questions you need. I would love to she's sit down with Miss Renee. She's a sweet lady. Yeah, you she seems really, nice. She's yeah. very nice. You yeah. should absolutely get her on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll call her up, Winter. We had a moment at Chateau. I'm sure she'd remember. Okay. <laughs> I will pretend to like what if. <laughs> I will pretend I finished it. I'm getting, I didn't finish that. I didn't. Either. I couldn't uh, get past one and a half episodes. Actually, I love enough things that Renee's done that I pretend to like what if. You she didn't probably didn't that. even like it. No, of course. No. I saw, we saw that. She shut up her set five days. Uh, maybe. <laughs> She's barely She in was it. doubling up, doing doubles <laughs> to get through that. My keep it this week is to Ryan Tedder of the <laughs> underrated band Run, One Republic. Mm-hmm. I love One Republic. They have multiple eras, which is strange. Yeah. Yes. They have... The Apologize era. Mm-hmm. They have Counting Stars, um, Rescue Me, mm-hmm. and the song Secret, which I love because I will always remember it as the song that played when someone dragged Olivia Palermo on the city and she walked through the meatpacking district looking sad. Yeah. And Secret played. Yeah, that seems apropos. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he was at Global Citizen. Okay. And. He was being interviewed and said that on the upcoming One Republic album, he had recorded a song with Adele and Beyonce, and it would also feature Chris Martin. Mm-hmm. It's, a uh, lot of, it's a lot of star power. Obviously, the internet went wild. Mm-hmm. Um, I was upset with the internet because they always take any opportunity to drag Coldplay. Yeah. And as we all know, I'm in the Coldplay hive. Mm-hmm. They're great. I love Chris Martin. Yeah, Sorry. he's great. I like him. I mean, I personally find him extremely attractive. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm like, imagine him and Gwyneth. That must have been just so clean. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I felt like, you the, know. The amount of taupe in that house. Yes. Mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, before sex, they probably like, you know, did like a face wash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a like a cleanse, like a hot bath. I don't know. They both sleep on their back in my mind. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of Reiki. A lot of Reiki. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a little believable, I guess, because he has one. Beyonce is friends with Chris Martin. Right. Okay. Yes. And also Ryan Tedder produced Halo. So in other words, it was feasible that the, all of these people be working sure. together. There's lots. Adele toasted Beyonce in her Grammy speech. Right. Yeah. And then <laughs> he went on Instagram and started sharing the story in his Instagram stories and then wrote me utilizing, in quote marks, sarcasm, kidding, and a joke simultaneously after he shared the definitions for sarcasm, kidding, and joke, and said, yeah, we have one song featuring Beyonce, Adele, and Chris Martin, but I don't want to talk about it or give too much away. In what fucking world does that sentence sound like sarcasm? Yeah. Like, also introducing the idea of this song, but then saying, I don't want to give too much away, implies that you You are working on this and you want to, like, tease it out, but then... We're going to find out more. And you did it at Global Citizen, which is very me, 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 because that is a festival designed to talk about the, the globe. The globe. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan Tedder, not a noted comedian. So right. it's so it's possible that this would be misconstrued as fact. You talking about music, which is what you do. Right. So fuck you, Ryan Tedder. Like, being now mad at people being mad at the media for spinning your statement into headlines. Oh, no, you know what happened. He got calls. Oh, Parkwood. <laughs> Parkwood. <laughs> Beyonce looked up from her phone yes. and said, Jay, yeah. what's the number for One Republic? <laughs> <laughs> he was like. Blue Ivy, get was, them on the phone. He was like, you know, B, I don't know. I don't know. But then they called Parkwood and Parkwood said. Mr. Tatter? Yeah. Stop it. Please don't. <laughs> Stop it. And Adele was like, <laughs> was smoking a cigarette. And Ad- Adele was probably like, oh post orgasmic blow with Skepta. <laughs> Adele wandering was- around her 90 room <laughs> mansion. <laughs> This has been fun. I'm going to say, I don't have to be amused by any of this. <laughs> Can I plug my podcast? You have yes, a new please. podcast? Yes, it's called Waiting to Exhale. It's uh, me and Karen Tongson talking about how we relate to pop culture now as opposed to the way we related to it in the past. And it's exhale, X hyphen, hail, because it's Generation mm-hmm. X. Generation yeah. X. Mm. And so we really sort of like just go back and forth on like, Nostalgia. It's very much about nostalgia and pop culture. And Karen Tongson is her former co-host mm-hmm. on Pop Rocket, who recently wrote a book on Karen Carpenter, mm-hmm. which is so fabulous that mm-hmm. people should read. Wow, that sounds like a very fun segment on 2020. Yes. yes. It's, we made it into a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I've no eating. need to be nasty. A hose got to eat, too. <laughs> Winter. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I really enjoyed the it. Thank you so much for being here. That everyone... No, it's no, no. There's no pop. We don't... No, because Lewis was yeah. Pop Rocket. This feels like I'm Pop Rocket was a sitcom give... in the early 90s that ended. I'm and this still is a late sore. 90s sitcom that I'm still sore. two of the cast members reunite on. Yeah. That's right, right, right. Yeah. So it's also like Circus of the Stars. Yes, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's much more like that. Yeah. Or just 
Circus. Circus. Yeah. I wish we could have Battle of the Network Stars. Ooh, Where's I miss Battle that. Battle of the Crooked Stars. Oh, God. Just doing relay races. Yeah, right. That three-legged race against whomever. Aaron, Gloria, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank Thanks, you. Winter. Thanks, Gia Tolentino. That's our show. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aw, let me just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not